This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Stackers. It's Monday, and you know what that means. Not just another week of episodes of the Stacking Benjamin Show, but it's time for our weekly shout-out to our troops. On behalf of the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union, where their members are their mission, and the men and women making podcasts here in the basement, a big shout-out and salute to our troops. Let's go stack some Benjamins together now, shall we? Here's a song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. Vacation's over. It's over. It's over. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's National Cheer Up the Lonely Day. Anyone checked on OG? We welcome the perfect guest for today, someone who's turned attention on others in need into an international phenomenon, the author of An Invisible Thread, Laura Schroff. For our TikTok Minute, we have the best advice to completely ignore. In our headlines, we'll dive into some people who are fairly unhappy they bought crypto. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Terrell, who has some thoughts on non-competes. And then, I'll share my cheery trivia. And now, two guys who stay by your side as you stack your Benjamins, Joe and Scott Trench! You're right, that doesn't roll off the tongue, but he's here because we're in Denver today at Bigger Pockets headquarters. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across, not a card table, it's a conference room table. We got a little echo, but I think we're going to be good. Mr. Scott Trench, CEO of Bigger Pockets, and more importantly, co host of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me uh, on the show today. Or actually, you're welcome. Uh, we had to clean up the basements here at the Bigger Pockets headquarters just for you. Um, just I know for that's us. where you like to record. Yes, it's great how you made sure we have absolutely no sunlight coming in. Everything is nice and uh, shag carpeting too, just for us. I think you guys rolled that in. That's right. So we got about an inch of dust as well, um, just for you, right? Perfect. There. Just like the last time you were in our basement. 
So oh. Scott Trench not rolling off Doug's tongue, but you said that you don't have the the uh, the worst of it. Your brother. No, my parents gave me three T's in a row, Scott Trench, and then uh, they named my brother Rusty Trench. <laughs> Rusty Trench sounds like like the beginning of a joke. Yeah, his real name is Russell, so let's give, let's yes. give him some credit. But Rusty, yes. yeah, Rusty Trench uh, had, a, had a little trouble freshman year of high school with when when folks found out that name. Yes, but afterwards, you know, he's a trench, so he did well. I'm he's sure. doing great. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, he's an engineer, he's crushing it. For the three people that don't know about <laughs> who doesn't know about bigger pockets, but for the three people that don't know about bigger pockets or about the money show, uh, fill us in, man. Yeah, uh, Bigger Pockets is a platform for real estate investors. So if you're looking to get started buying houses, flipping houses, buying rental properties, short-term rentals, um, we've got podcasts, books, videos, blogs, forums, whatever you want to learn, whatever you need to learn about those subjects and uh, get a bunch of diverse opinions on that. And then um, one of my personal passions is personal finance. So I host the Bigger Pockets Money Show podcast along with Mindy Jensen, where we talk about people's money uh, journeys with money and um, talk about their current situations and give them advice on it, how to proceed. And it's fantastic because I like the fact that the Money Show, for people that want to get into real estate, you really want to have this sound financial foundation first before you go yes. buy an illiquid property. That, that's right. I mean, there's a lot of talk about how you can buy rental property with no and low money down. That's possible, but you should do that only if you already have a lot of money. Build a, investing from a position of financial strength is paramount in this business. Otherwise, um, there's a lot of horror stories from folks who don't do that. Long-time listeners to the show know what a fan I am. I mean, we've, we've talked to Josh, to Brandon. I think this is your third or fourth time on the show. Mindy, mm -hmm. I think, has a frequent flyer card on the Stacking Management <laughs> Show. So we love Bigger Pockets. My son, a huge fan, he's up to 13 doors in his real estate journey and uses the heck out of Bigger Pockets stuff. So... Fun stuff. But we're not going to talk about that today, dude. You are in the co-pilot seat because OG, because it's National Cheer Up the Lonely Day, and he's just inconsolable. So, Scott, there's nothing we could do. We needed somebody more upbeat. Ah, that's right. Next next time for OG. <laughs> that's right. So well, he, he would not like it in this basement. We will leave him. We leave him at home today. But Laura Schroff on the show today, she has this amazing story, Scott. It's this book called Invisible Thread. It was a big-time bestseller 10 years ago. I missed it 10 years ago. I had no idea. I picked it up. I picked up the thread, the invisible thread, maybe four years ago and read this book. And this is powerful. She was a very busy executive in New York City, saw this young homeless person, and then just had a little kindness. And well, we'll let you hear, you hear the magic of being kind to each other and how that helps you. It's not always just about the Benjamins. It's about what we do with our life and what we value. And Laura's going to bring that today. Before that, though, you and I got a headline about crypto, which I'm sure perked everybody's ears up. Mm -hmm. How you doing, crypto people? I'm not seeing so many crypto coaches in my feed lately. Yeah, the Bitcoin spammers are really uh, cooled it, off a little bit. It's so strange. Uh, we're going to do that. We got our TikTok minute, but you, first- You know what the new way to make a million dollars in crypto is? Start with two million. Oh, wait a minute. Put it in Bitcoin. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> nope, wrong one. There we go. Okay. I've had this thing forever and I can't figure out where the- buttons are. Yes. <laughs> Start with 2 million. Well, that, that, I heard that joke originally on farming. Like I had a yeah. client that was a farmer when I was a financial planner. It was like, what did the farmer do when they won the million dollar lottery? They farmed it till it was gone, ah. which I know some <laughs> farmers doing pretty, pretty well. We use that in the real estate world too. Yes, that's right. That's right. We got a great show, but first, before all that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. 
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Scott Trench is here in the co-pilot seat. We got Laura Schroff coming up, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our piece today comes to us from the site Dig. It's written by Jared Russo. U.S.-based athletes who suffered the biggest losses after turning their salary into crypto visualize. And for people who want the visual, we will have that on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. I think the audio is going to be enough. You want to get your groans ready, as everybody can Mm. imagine. But, But you remember this, Scott, last year, the last couple of years, all these athletes go, no, 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 I don't want dollars. I want crypto. Yeah, I mean, I think that it hasn't been just athletes too. It's other other folks. They want to get paid in in these other forms of currency because I think there's a lot of fear of inflation, which we're now seeing. But the dollar is holding its value much better than these alternative supposed alternatives to the dollar that are inflation resistant or will hold their value. I remember in the Super Bowl last year hearing about Odell Beckham Jr., who I think was playing at that point that the season when he got traded from Cleveland to the Rams, he was playing for like $30,000 because crypto by that time had gone down. And don't get me wrong, there's people out there living on $30,000. But when you're playing in the NFL and he started off with a lot more than that, not the day that he expected. That was a wild ride for him and him and his dad that year. Yeah, it was a wild ride for them. Well, let's go through this estimated US value losses for athletes due to crypto fluctuations. Trevor Lawrence is first. He's down $15.1 million in value. 15.1 million. Jeez. Saquon Barkley is second, uh, 3.3 million dollars. Actually, I take that back. Uh, Russell Okung is, is uh, second, 4 million. Saquon Barkley third at 3.3 million. You know, let's talk about crypto and athletes. These guys are already doing something that's a little like the lottery. It's kind of like the lottery to get there. Once you get there, I was listening to an NFL player talk about you're doing this thing that is what you've wanted to do your whole life. He goes, and what people don't see is there's so much, there's so many politics, right? And if you get hurt a little bit, you got to shut your mouth because they're NFL players, their salaries aren't guaranteed. So if they don't go out on the field, then they might never play another snap if the dude that gets was one shot ends up being good enough to keep that shot. So these people are doing something that's like the lottery. What do you think about this idea of taking your 
salary and turning it into something that feels also like the lottery? I don't like it at all. I mean, you, you want to spend money in this country or pay taxes, you have to do it in dollars. So if you get paid in Bitcoin, you still have to, that is the equivalent amount of Bitcoin at the time that you were awarded it in income, you have to pay taxes on that in dollars. You have to sell that so and convert it over. Trevor Lawrence paying $15.1 million in taxes that he didn't earn because Bitcoin, Bitcoin fluctuated. I believe that will be his, his reality to a large extent. I, did, I, did, I believe that he will be taxed on the value of the, the Bitcoin at the time right. that it was granted as part of his paycheck. And then he will now have to figure out how to come up with that liquidity. I, ho- I hope that he sold the taxable portion and put it into a savings account in order to, to deal with that. You see these people that have these windfalls, Scott, when you make this unexpected money, right? You get these big contracts to take that money and use it to start building your foundation, yeah, I think that the thought process for a lot of these folks is that the foundation would be these cryptocurrencies, and that's a better foundation than the dollar. And so we have to pop out two more levels to kind of think yeah. through that problem of like, is Bitcoin, is gold, or these other currency alternatives better than the dollar as a store of value? And I think that we're going to learn that that may not be the case. The Federal Reserve and fiat currency is not this boogeyman that that a lot of the, the Bitcoin people and traditionalist or gold standard folks like to think it is. The, the Federal Reserve has a charter to keep prices stable over long periods of time and does a good job at that and will beat inflation. Oh, There's right? a lot of people out there that are going to send a hate mail going, I don't know that they're doing a good job based on the last couple of quarters of having to raise interest rates very quickly. Sorry, it definitely deserves some follow-up there. If you think about what Paul Volcker did in the 70s and mm. 80s right, to beat inflation, And then if you go back even further to the gold standard, I mean, the U.S. government has, even when we're attached to the gold standard, said, okay, a dollar is now worth less gold. (laughs) So it doesn't, the gold standard and these ties to Bitcoin or all these other different types of currencies are are not necessarily stable hedges because the government can just say what the dollar is worth relative to these other currencies um, in these periods. So really the problem is not what currency you're invested in. It's do we have a good central bank? And right now with 9% inflation, people are mad, but over the last 50, 60 years, we've had our ups and downs, but we're doing it about as well as anybody has done it with our central banking system in this country. So I don't want to be cheerlead the Fed too much because they got their problems, but I I do not think it's wise to put your store of value into something other than dollars or long-term assets that are stable, that will hold their intrinsic value. I think it was Winston Winston Churchill who said something like, you know, capitalism is horrible until you look at all the alternatives and then it's the best. Yeah. And fiat currency has its drawbacks, but it also, if the central bank does their job correctly, then it should hold its value and be a stable store of value relative to the basket of goods and services that a dollar or a euro. Have you invested in cryptos at all? I briefly owned some crypto after reading a book called The Bitcoin Standard, which I think is a fantastic book. For about a year or so, made a little bit of money and have moved completely out of that. I went the opposite as I saw uh, cryptos falling earlier this year. I invested really for the first time in any meaningful way. And obviously that has gone great so far, but uh, most of mine is in Ethereum and mostly because of the fact that I feel like when I, everything I read about Bitcoin and the fact that the utility of Bitcoin, the ability for it to actually become any type of a currency, very difficult versus what we're using Ethereum for. So who knows? Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more, but what do you think about the fact that this has gone down so much lately? Is this a time with you've this type of volatility? If you're somebody that's thinking way, way, way long-term, do I take a few dollars and stick it into cryptos? Because 
I mean, we've lost a lot of money in that area, which when we look at the stock market or in, in real estate, right? If you invested in 2007, 2008, when there was all that pain in real estate, you cleaned up, you did phenomenally well. You think there's a corollary to crypto? I think that the crypto, along with other asset classes like stocks, I wonder about real estate heading into the later part of the year, like bonds, like cash, all of those asset classes are moving downward together. And that's because the Fed is raising interest rates. And so when there's no more easy money, that says that the dollar is going to begin hardening as a currency. And you're going to see these other these asset classes fall to a certain degree. And the question is how the Fed wants inflation to be 2%. They say their dual enemies are inflation and unemployment. Minimum wage is as low as it's ever been in a real sense in 70 years, <laughs> right? It's $7.50, I think right now, $7.20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has not been that low in real terms since 1950. So there is no way that unemployment is going to skyrocket in a recessionary environment. Yeah, this makes this a really weird recession. If we are in a recession, which by the time this comes out, I think we'll know. But I think the answer is probably yes. I mean, yeah. 99.9% that it's yes. But what's interesting is most recessions come with high unemployment. And right now we've got this employment boom going on. Yeah. And I think that that's because you have inflation and you have no rise in that. And you're not going to see a rise in that minimum wage. I mean, you can go to McDonald's and make $18 an hour right now. So where are the layoffs going to come from? There will be work at this point, I think for, for folks who want it. So anyways, that leaves the Fed wide open. They only have one enemy to, to fight right now, and that's going to be inflation. And how and they're going to go after that, in my opinion, uh, until they beat it. But they're not going to save. Yeah. They're not going to save any politicians currently. There's. I don't want to get into politics, but I don't think you know if you're if you're Jerome Powell, you're like saying I'm going to save the Biden administration right now um, from this. I think you're saying I'm going to beat inflation. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and save that dollar. And I think that is what is what is spooking so many investors in all these different asset classes. I, I think that the end of easy money is what's impacting the ability to buy cryptocurrency. So back to my question then. As it falls, I'm excited about investing in the stock market right now. I think if you're a long-term investor and you have and you are employed and you have some cash flow, it's a great time to get into the stock market. Do you think there's a corollary to crypto or is it because of the fact that I don't know fundamentally where this sits, right? I mean, there's no way to do fundamental analysis on crypto. You just can't. You can do technical analysis, but fundamentally, what the hell is it? I have no idea. Yeah, I'll use gold as an analogy, and then I'll answer your question directly. Warren Buffett has a big, uh, has a good analogy on gold, right? He says, you take all the gold in the world, you make it into a cube, it's about 64 feet on a side, or maybe yards or whatever it is, and it can fit inside of a basketball rink, and that's it. It will sit there and look pretty. And at the time, he said it was worth about $7 trillion, that cube of gold. And for that, you could buy all the farmland in the United States, plus seven Exxon Mobiles, and have a trillion dollars left over to boot. Which one would you rather own for 30 years? Right. And that answer should be obvious uh, when you frame it like that. And I think that cryptocurrency is the exact same concept, right? Especially Bitcoin, which is designed to have a limited supply, just like that cube of gold, a digital cube of gold, if you will. Do you want to own currency? You're not going to sit on a pile of dollars. You shouldn't sit on a pile of gold and you shouldn't sit on a pile of Bitcoins, a virtual pile of Bitcoins, if you will. And if you want to build long-term wealth, you should be buying assets that can produce cash flow and can appreciate in real terms over a long period of time. So that means real estate businesses, maybe loans or lending, if you can outpace the rate of inflation with those like hard assets that can actually build wealth in perpetuity. You know, two asset classes that have done that historically, obviously the stock market and the real estate market, the North American REIT index and the, uh, the S&P 500 over long periods of time come out almost even, almost exactly even. So to some degree, it's pick which downside you like better and which, mm -hmm. which upside you want more of. But that said, I get excited about the stock market, the real estate market, 
Paula Pant says that she doesn't think that we're going to see prices in real estate fall. She thinks it's a there's a logic jump there uh, when we see it fall. We might have a stagnation. We might have a rotation of who's actually buying real estate. But she thinks that looking at prices falling is not a real thing. How do you feel about that? I think that uh, if current trajectories hold and we're able to tame inflation within the next couple of months, I think she'll probably be right. But I would also say, do not underestimate the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell. There's, the road is completely clear for them to fight inflation with the full force and power of what they have there. And they have, in the past, conducted absolutely brutal monetary policy to go after inflation. So if they can tame inflation, I completely agree with that. If they can't, then interest rates absolutely will, at a certain threshold, begin impacting real estate prices, just as they're impacting the prices of other asset classes. Ideally. So I think it's building a reasonably defensive financial foundation before investing really in anything and then going after long-term investments. Which I like getting back to this piece. When you get your paycheck, I don't like the idea then of putting it into crypto for all the reasons that you said. I love this idea of using it to build the foundation. Like look at your goals and figure out what you want. And I don't know, maybe take a, a few dollars like the casino and put it in crypto. Cause it's yeah. so low. I think you think of crypto as an alternative form of currency. Yeah. So if you, if you don't trust the dollar, you put you know, let's say you want to have a $30,000 emergency reserve, 10 in cash, 10 in gold, 10 in Bitcoin. That might be a viable way to, to think about it, but I don't think you're going to build long-term wealth in a currency relative over a long period of time to stock bonds, real estate. Coming up, Laura Schroff is a woman who 10 years ago wrote a phenomenal book that uh, really uh, lit the world on fire. It was a bestseller many times over. She's coming out of the basement in just a moment to talk about this incredible journey that she took with a homeless gentleman and both really helped each other and taught each other a lot. It's called The Invisible Thread. But before that, Doug, I think you've got some trivia for us, don't you? Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I was just upstairs talking to Laura Schroff about this national cheer up the lonely day until she told me my clown mask was freaking her out and I needed to step away before she maced me. Turns out, Laura says there's lots of other ways to cheer people up. Flowers, a hug, TikTok videos that make them look like they're just eyes and a mouth on a toaster. Hey, speaking of TikTok, my question is, what's the total estimated value of the platform? Is it $5 billion, $15 billion, or $50 billion? I'll be right back with the answer after I go do my sea shanty. What do you mean? The trend is over? Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties 
or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, Here's a disclaimer. you got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st, so get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. Hey there, stackers. I'm TikTok chinfluencer and sad clown superstar, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. According to the Omnicore agency, TikTok was founded in just 2016 and now has 1.2 billion active users monthly. Consumers spend $824.4 million in just Q4 of 2021. So how much is TikTok worth? 50 billion. And now, with an amazing story of a priceless friendship between two people you wouldn't expect, Laura Schroff. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new friend, Laura Schroff. How are you? I'm great this morning. Thank you. How are you? Well, I'm very good because I'm talking to you. So I'm, I'm super excited about this. I wanted to ask you just right off the bat 10 years, Laura. 10 years ago, almost 11, really, now, uh, this book came out. Why do you think it's resonated with people so much that now we're celebrating the 10-year anniversary with a new edition? I think that it's really resonating because it really is about how one person can make a difference in the life of another person. People really can relate to the concept of kindness, and that is what the book is really all about. It's about how I reached out to this young child when he asked for spare change. And originally, as you know, I walked away. But then what I realized, he said he was hungry. And I went back and took him to McDonald's. And from that point on, we became friends. And we got together every Monday 
for the next four years and hundreds of times thereafter. I think that most people are really kind and they can relate to this story. And I think that the book has like a timeless message, but I think now more than ever, because there's so much going on, that people want to read about good feel stories. Man, I feel the same because I feel like on social media and when I get the news, it's always so-and-so slam so-and-so, you know, so-and-so told so-and-so what, and it's just us being mean to each other, Laura. And this is two people. And I do want to get into the story just a little bit of how you met because I have so many questions, but I feel like we spend so much time thinking about how we're going to be mean to each other that these two unlikely compatriots, right? (laughs) These two people that you would never think of so much in common, you and Maurice ends up showing us that maybe we should spend a little less time being mean. Well, I think that also too, we need to spend more time opening up our eyes and our hearts to our surroundings. I talk about this a lot at school that I think that if I had a cell phone back then, most likely I would have been connected to my phone. But because I did not, as he asked for spare change because he said he was hungry, I originally said no. But that as I got to Broadway, what resonated with me, this was the first time I'd ever seen a child. He was 11 on his own asking for spare change. And then I went back and I said, I don't want to give you any money, but if you're hungry, I'll take you to McDonald's. And as we were having lunch, I realized this was a really sweet kid who just seemed to have a really hard life. That's really how it all began. I want to dive into that first story in just a moment, but I first want to give people a feeling for who you were because you had done this amazing job of rising through the ranks, really designing a career, I think, Laura, more than most people do because uh, you decided that you wanted to work for an airline. And so you did go work for, (laughs) you did go work for an airline for a little. Tell me about your career and kind of moving up the ladder. You did not go to college. No, I did not go to college. In fact, you know, I talk about this a lot at schools because I want kids to think about you don't have to be a straight A student to have a successful life. I think that one of the reasons why I did not do well in school and for those people who have read my book or will read my book, I was a terrible student. And one of the reasons why was because I used to be afraid to fall asleep at night for fear of what would happen at night. But both my parents gave me this incredible work ethic. So when all my friends were going off to college, the thought of doing four more years of school was just like something I was not interested in. But I wanted to work for an airline. And so I got a job at Continental American Life Insurance. I gave myself a goal that I'd work there for six months, and then I was going to get a job with an airline. And six months later, I landed a job with Icelandic Airlines. And I worked there for about five years as back in those days, a secretary. And then I decided that I really wanted to have a career. But when I looked at myself, I thought there's really very little that you're good at. But the one thing that I could do was I could connect with people. So I thought I really wanted to go into sales. And really back then, I would have sold anything. But I saw an ad in I guess it was in New, in the New York Times that said sell advertising space for a twice weekly travel trade publication. And actually, even before that, because I don't want to step over this for our listeners. Yeah, 
you really, you tried to do sales at the airline, but you, you saw the glass ceiling that a lot of women see when it comes to careers. You realized that, that there was one woman in sales who was kind of the token woman in the sales department. And there was no way you were going to be, uh, you were going to be on that team. Right. And so I ended up getting the job at Travel Agent Magazine and I couldn't believe it. And I worked there for about two and a half years. And then one day I met a woman in a reception area at an ad agency and she worked at Ms. And I couldn't believe she worked at Ms. Magazine. We had this great conversation. We exchanged cards. And that afternoon she called to, you're never going to believe it, but we have an opening. Would you like to come over and interview? And I got the job at Ms. It was kind of like working at an all girls school. And I felt so lucky to be surrounded by so many women who were so smart. But I was also very intimidated because they seemed so smart and I felt so stupid. But I got the job. But the one thing that I knew about myself was that I had the ability to work hard. I was driven and I would have done anything I needed to do. And there were Saturdays. If I didn't have anything to do, I'd go to work at like two o'clock in the afternoon and work till three o'clock in the morning and thought that I had like the best day ever. Wow. And then from there, I got a call from People Magazine and I couldn't even believe that they were pursuing me. And 13 interviews later, three months later, I, I got the job and I felt like I had arrived. I remember getting off the elevator and I saw the people sign and I thought, wow, I work at People Magazine. That was so different because that was like an all boys school in comparison to Ms., which was kind of like an all girls school. And throughout my entire interviewing process, they never asked me where I went to college. And it wasn't until after I got the job that one day they asked me, you know, where'd you go to school? And when I told them that I didn't go to college, I was the first person that they had ever hired without a college degree. But I believe that my stars were really aligned. But the one thing that I knew that I needed to do when I worked at People was I had to work harder than everybody else because of the fact that I hadn't gone to school. I had to prove myself. And almost throughout my entire career, I felt like I had to prove myself until I got to a position where I thought, you know what? You're really doing okay. And this is amazing because you and Maurice have this in common because Maurice has to prove himself over and over and over just to stay alive much of the yes. time. But before we leave your work life to talk about the intersection of you two unlikely friends, I want to ask you about this fantastic interview that you talk about in the book, because I think this is a kind of a separate learning for our younger listeners about just a great interview. You show up for this interview and you're early. And by the way, for people that don't know, Laura, Laura was on my dad's shortwave radio 15 minutes early today. And the very first thing I said to you, I'm like, well, you're true to form. You're 15 minutes early, but there's this power because people are late. And it's one thing that you can control is to some degree, making sure that you're not late, right? Number yes. one. And then number two, this guy, Laura, is not going to give you the job. And I think you said the best, I don't know if you remember the line, but you said the best line ever to him. 
and I would have hired you on the spot. Can you tell me that story? Sure. That was with David Gall, and it was Travel Agent Magazine. The night before my interview, I cut my finger, and I ended up in the emergency room, and I had to get eight stitches. So when I got to the interview- Which eight stitches on a little finger. On my finger. That's a lot of blood. That is a lot of blood. So when I got there, my interview was at 7.30. I got there at 7.15 because I'm just always early. And when he came out, one of the very first things he said to me was, what happened to your finger? And I said, oh, I said, I cut it last night. And he said to me, well, I hope it wasn't serious. And I said, no, not really. He said, well, did you have to get stitches? I said, yeah, I had to get eight. And he said to me, by God, I'm impressed. This is a highly competitive business and punctuality is really important. I like the idea that you could cut your finger and be 15 minutes early for your interview. So while we were having our interview, he said to me, I don't really know why I should hire you because you have no college, you have no sales experience. Nothing. And I said, I know that. I said, but here's what I'm going to tell you. I said, if you think you can work hard, I can work harder. I'm telling you that if you hire me, it will be the best decision you've ever made. And so then he asked me how much I was making at Icelandic Airlines. I said, I'm making 13200 And this was when I came back for the second interview, which was really interesting. When I came back for the second interview, he said to me, I don't understand. He said, why I want to hire you. He said, but I do. I'm going to give you a shot. He says, well, how much are you making at Icelandic Airlines? I said, I'm making 13200 He said, okay. He said, I'm going to offer you 12000 I said, great. I said, I'll take the job. He said, aren't you going to negotiate? I said, absolutely not. I said, I'm going to take it for 12000 I said, in three months, you're going to call me into your office and you're going to give me a raise. And three months later, he called me into his office and he said to me, how much were you making at Icelandic Airlines? I said, 13200 it was. He said, great. He said, I'm offering you 18500 Boom. Boom. That was it. And that was the beginning. That is amazing. You also said something to him that I loved. You said something like, I don't ask for a lot of breaks. I just need one break and I need it from you right now. And I thought that was a phenomenal. <laughs> and you know what's so crazy? I was 25 years old and I said to him, absolutely. I'm not looking for a lot of breaks in life. I said, I'm looking for just one break. I said, and I promise you, if you hire me, you will never, ever regret it. Just one break. That's it. And he hired me. You say, and maybe it's indicative of you working a Saturday afternoon and thinking it's wonderful that you've got this phenomenal career, but you don't feel you're making a lot of money. And you say early in the book, and this is where we kind of get a little bit into why you're on a money show you know, you're making lots of money. You've got a wonderful apartment. You live in a fantastic area. You've got this name brand job that everybody knows the places that you work, you're working these marquee places. And yet you say, Laura, that you felt unfulfilled. Well, I always wanted to have a family. Children was something I always really wanted to have. And it was something that was never meant for me. It was not meant in my cards. And I remember working, but feeling very unfulfilled. As much as I loved my job, I knew that there was more that I wanted and I just didn't know what it was. And then one day I was walking up West 56th Street and I saw this 11-year-old boy and he said to me, excuse me, lady, do you have any spare change? I'm hungry. I wasn't really paying attention and I did say no though and I walked away. 
And as I got to Broadway, what resonated with me was that he said he was hungry. And I went back to him. I said, I don't want to give you money. You're just a kid. I said, but if you'd like, I'll take you over to McDonald's and I'll get you something to eat. Can we stop right there for a second? Because I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. so you're literally halfway across the street when you stop. And I'm just wondering in that moment, because in the book you say, I have no idea why I turned around, but there must've been, I mean, now it's 10 years later since you wrote that, Laura, there, there must've been something that made you go, you know what? I need to go back. I know. I know that now today, and I've known this for quite a long time. I believe that my mother, who, as you know, passed away at the very young age of only 47 when I was 25 years old. I talk about it even with my interview with Travel Agent Magazine. I think I cut my finger the night before because that would set me apart from all of the other candidates. Mm. And I actually believe it was my mother who brought us together because she knew that I needed more in my life. And here was a child who also needed more in his life. And throughout this entire process of my book, 10 years later, I wish that I could take the credit for everything that has happened in my life because I feel so enormously blessed. But I believe that my mother, she played a major role in helping me with everything that did happen every step of the way. So I I give myself credit, but I also give my mother an enormous amount of credit because I do believe And I make jokes that sometimes I think that she works harder in heaven than she did on earth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, she definitely plays a big role in your life and the things that she went through with your family life. You and Maurice definitely have very parallel in a lot of ways, family situations. But he, I wanted to ask you about that first day at McDonald's. So you take him to McDonald's. He's very excited to go to McDonald's, but he doesn't really let you in he's got this wall up like that first meeting that first day. How did you feel about this wall between you and him? Well, the first thing that struck me was that I thought he was really bright because as we were walking to McDonald's, he said to me, could I have a Big Mac? And I said, sure. He said, well, could I get a Diet Coke? Could I get French fries? I said, absolutely. He said, what about a Diet Coke? I said, you could have a Diet Coke. He said, I could I have a thick shake? I'm like, wow, this this kid is like negotiating with me. And I said, you could have anything that you want. And when we were sitting across the table. I immediately, I immediately <laughs> Laura, thought, as I was reading, I immediately thought, I'm like, these people are both in sales. Like you are both, you are both born <laughs> salespeople. <laughs> he was. But what struck me was he just seemed like the sweetest kid. And I thought that he had the most trusting eyes. But when we talked, he wanted to know where I live, so I pointed to across the street. And he said to me, you live in a hotel too? And I said, no, no. I said, that's an apartment building. I said, why? Do you live in a hotel? He said, yeah, I live at the Bryan Hotel. And I knew that that was a shelter hotel. And what was really also amazing is we lived only two blocks apart. I lived on 56th Street. He lived on 54th. And yet we came from these two vastly different worlds. But With our very first meeting, he made me believe that his mother stayed home and she cleaned and she took care of the house and she cooked. And he created this leave it to beaver kind of image for me. And it wasn't until our friendship developed that I realized that that was really not the case. But that's how he originally 
told me about his life. You actually went to meet his mom. You wanted to take him to a baseball game. He was excited. Uh, You wanted to make sure mom was on board with this. So you sent him home with like a permission slip that you'd made and he'd never returned. In fact, he didn't even show up, which I think, but my interpretation was, was that it was because he was embarrassed that mom hadn't signed it or done nothing with it. So you decide to go and meet mom. I'm screaming at the book, Laura. I'm like, what are you doing? Like this young woman going to this place, you take a friend with with you to go meet mom. Tell me about the reality of Maurice's mom and his family. Well, I really wanted to take him to a baseball game because at, at that point I was working at USA Today and we had the best tickets, the best seats. So I said to him, I want to take you in my car. I said, but I cannot take you in my car without your mom's permission. So I wrote the permission slip. I said, can you just take this home, have your mom sign it, and at least I'll know that she's given you permission to drive in my car with me. And we set up a time for him to show up, and he didn't show up. But I really wanted to take him to this baseball game. So I asked my friend Lisa if we could go over to the Bryan Hotel together. And when we got there... I mean, it was probably one of the most dangerous shelter hotels in all of New York City back in 1986. And at the time, by the way, Laura, everybody knows this, too. I yes. mean, this is this is not a secret. Uh, you talk about how in the media they're talking about cleaning up the hotel, about how the living conditions are even dangerous. But there's so much drug use going on, not just drug use, drug sales and prostitution going on in this hotel it is a well-known fact that you are walking into a, a lawless place. I had the wherewithal to at least change and look casual. But when I got there, the guard would not let Lisa and I go up together. So he took us up. Of course, the elevator was not working. So we had to walk up, I think it was the four flights of steps. And his mother answered the door. And I was used to seeing people who were drunk but I'd never, ever seen somebody so hung up on drugs. I tried to talk to his mom, and I could tell that she just was not getting it. And then all of a sudden, Grandma Rose, and no one wants to ever mess with Grandma Rose, came to the door. And I did not know that they did not know about me. And I just said, hi. I said, I'm a friend of Maurice's. I said, and I'd love to take him to a baseball game. But could you just sign this note for me? And with that, I handed her the the note and a pen. She signed it and then just slammed the door on me. But in that period of time, I was able to see Maurice's room, which was a room that was about 12 by 12, two single beds, no bedding, pillows, or blankets. In one corner, there was a chair, and on the opposite side sat a half of a refrigerator and a television on top. And I could not believe that this was where he was living. And I went home. And a little while later, Maurice came over and he was really upset with me. And I think he was also, I know that he was also very embarrassed that I actually saw where he lived, but he made me promise that I would never, ever go back to that hotel again. He said to me, nice ladies like you can't go to places like that. So he always had my back. I felt like you guys had each other's back. Over and over and over. Well, in fact, Laura, your friends at work initially, 
said, uh, well, they thought you were crazy. They, they thought that you should probably not do this. Like it was nice taking him out once. That is very nice. But this continuing relationship thing, like there's so much, so many things that could go, go poorly, but you won them over, over time. But even then they would say, oh, you're teaching this kid so much. You're teaching this kid so much. And you would rebuke them on that. You're like, no, 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 no. People used to say to me all the time that Maurice was so lucky to have met me. And I used to say, you've got it all wrong. I said, I have been so lucky to have met him. I think that one of the things that Maurice did for me, well, he's done many things for me, but he really made me appreciate my own childhood, which, as you know, was very volatile. He opened up my eyes to how children who live in these shelter situations live in these drug environments, how difficult it is for them to get through every single day. And I used to say to my friends all the time, you know, we have these cushy lives. If we could walk in his shoe steps for just one day, we would never, ever take our lives or everything that we have for granted. So in reality, Maurice taught me far more than I ever could have taught him. But I think that along the way, we were just teaching each other a different world. I got to see his world and he got to see my world. And through it all, it made him a better person and it made me a better person. You say at the end of the book that he taught you a lot of things and I saw all that, but I was a little surprised when you wrote that he taught you about money. How did Maurice teach you about money? Well, he taught me about money because I, at the time I was working at USA Today and I was making a decent salary and I had a really nice life. And yet I still took so much of it for granted. So he taught me, in a sense, the value of money. He also showed me how I had a jug of change. My father was a bartender and he used to collect change from his tips and every tax season, we would sit around and roll up all the change. And for some reason, I collected change. And I had this clear jug filled nearly to the brim with change. He used to come over to my apartment on a Saturday to hang out while I was doing errands. And people used to say to me, I can't believe you let him in your apartment and you're not even there. And I used to say, I trust him. And I knew that jug of change, he used to stare at it. I'm sure there were many times that he thought, I can just take a couple coins. She'll never know. But he was such a smart kid that he knew that he had a good thing and he was never going to betray my trust. So for me, he also taught me how money's not everything, that here it was, that there was a jug of change filled to the brim, and yet he was smart enough to know it wasn't worth it. Sometimes money, it's just not worth it. Yeah, well, the value of that friendship, clearly to both of you, worth well more than money and being able to walk in each other's shoes. So many other great stories. I love the fact when he asks you to go to parent-teacher conferences, we'll ask you about that next time you're on. Yeah. <laughs> but when he asks you to go to parent-teacher conferences, I went, what? But it clearly, for me, was one of the first times I saw him like, he really, really, really wants you more in his life. This is kind of the wall starting to come down early on. The book is called An Invisible Thread, The True Story of an 11-Year-Old Panhandler, a Busy Sales Executive, An Unlikely Meeting with Destiny. It came out 10 years ago. This is the 10th anniversary edition. 
it's funny, Laura, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And it's just, it's such a, such a great tale. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me on your show. I really do appreciate it. I really do love talking about the story. And can I just say one quick thing about the name of the book? Because oh, people, yes. yeah, Please, people, yes. people love the name of the book. Yes. So when I was working on the proposal with my co-writer, his name is Alex Tresanowski. Every name I came up with, he didn't like. And every name I came up with, we didn't like each other's names for the books. And he kept telling me, don't worry about it. And I had to go to a birthday party and I was running late where normally I'd like to go to my little card store. I went to Dwayne Reed and I'm standing in front of the card section and I saw a card and it was green and I picked it up. It was the first card that I picked up ever bought at Dwayne Reed. And it said, there's an old saying, how an invisible thread connects those that are destined to meet. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And I opened up the card and it said, and I'm so happy you're in my life and happy birthday. I was like, you got to be kidding me. There were five cards. I bought them all. I bought a card for my friend. I ran upstairs and I Googled an invisible thread. And that's when I found out that it was a, a Chinese proverb. An invisible thread connects those that are destined to meet. Regardless of time, place, and circumstance, the thread can stretch or tangle, but it will never break. I was shaking. I called Alex and I said to him, oh my God. I said, Alex, I've got the name of the book. I said, Google an invisible thread. And he said to me, oh, he said, Laura, you're brilliant. I said, Alex, I'm looking at an American greetings card. (laughs) (laughs) But I absolutely believe that that was another situation where my mother, she put that card in my hand because people have said to me over and over, I never knew I had an invisible thread connection until I read your book and it all made so much sense. So for all of your listeners, we all have our own invisible thread connections. The important thing is to recognize those connections because they can make a difference in all of our lives. Hi, I'm Mitchell Walker, and when I'm not teaching people how to find hidden money, I'm out stacking Benjamins. Nice job, Scott, on the trivia question. By the way, big thanks to Laura Schroff for stepping by. What an inspirational story that was. And is there a prize for getting that right? Forgetting, yes. uh, Big uh, high five. All right. (laughs) There it is. Good work. Yeah, you almost said 15. You're like, what's the middle one? Yeah, I was like, that's way too low. Right? Yeah. They, they're they a household name at this point. Everyone 2016, though. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. If Bigger Pockets had that type of a trajectory, if there were that many people looking for financial independence instead of looking for, you know, dance videos, how great would the world be? That'd be great. I, I certainly wouldn't be uh, hosting you in this basement. Um, <laughs> we, we, we'd be on the top floor or something. It'd building. be the Taj Mahal <laughs> basements, probably. <laughs> it would be the basement, probably, but it'd be not like this. Yeah. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, Scott, and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. What do you value? Freedom, uh, optionality, having the ability to, to direct my day. And you know what? You'll have more time doing that if you're not filling out life insurance applications, which by the way, if you've ever tried to fill one out, takes forever. Haven Life is application. It's simple online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. And not only do they act like a startup, which means things go fast, but they are backed by a company that's more than 160-year-old insurer, Mass Mutual. And today, you know what? We're going we're gonna to continue on the Haven Lifeline here, Scott, a discussion that we were having on the show. Because in our 
in our Facebook group, The Basement, if you want to join The Basement to be a part of the discussions there and some of the great dad jokes that we share in The Basement, stackybedjamins.com slash basement will be the link that gets you right there. It's a longer URL to go directly. Or in Facebook, just put Stacking Benjamins Basement in the uh, search field. But Tyrell was commenting on a conversation that we had a few weeks ago, Scott, about non-competes and about how the government is now looking at non-competes. And obviously, many non-competes, not enforceable, but how even sometimes hourly workers being asked to sign non-competes, and some of this is getting ridiculous. So Tyrell writes, listening to the episode on non-competes while at work, felt the need to share, I'm an automotive technician for a dealership, and in the automotive service technician world, it's pretty standard from my own experience, you have to find a new job to get a raise whether it's from the current employer wanting to keep you or the new one trying to pull you in. Well, a dealer I worked for previously would actually offer guys a raise to stay, but then make them sign a non-compete so they wouldn't try and pull that same stunt. Had a couple guys I work with leave the career entirely because of this, just left. But, uh, you know, and our take, and thanks for that, Tyrell, for weighing in on that. You know, our take was, if you're going to pony up with more money and give people something in return for the non-compete, then I think that's a valid reason to offer a non-compete. But if you just say, hey, if you want to work here, sign a non-compete, you can't go anywhere else, but we're not going to give you anything else in exchange. I don't know. How do you feel about that, the, the world of non-competes? I think it depends on the type of employee and the consideration, what you're getting paid for that. I think that in an hourly case, selling cars, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think- don't get it. And I'm, uh, you know, without getting too political, I would I am supportive of the idea of legislation that prevents- entry-level employees from seeing tough non-compete agreements. Yeah. But I think when you get into management levels where there are trade secrets or large equity stakes or big bonuses that are, that are being paid out or big salaries, then I think there's a, a very reasonable case for those. Sure. Um, Cause right? you're, cause you're taking company secrets to the competition. Yeah. And I think that you're in, in many cases paying big bucks for that non-compete in a certain case, if you're the employer that's an agreement between folks who are, are able to make those kinds of decisions at, at a high level. And I think that there are stakes there in consideration that makes that makes that reasonable. But I think that's, that's a little harder to justify uh, preventing your frontline salesperson from going down the street to the other auto shop um, with a non-compete. Yeah, I don't so, get it. I, I don't understand why somebody would want to do that. It would just make me not want to work there. Yeah. I'd be like, there's plenty of places to work right now. If I get to go sign a non-compete for you, I'd rather go work someplace else. Yeah. And I think that, you know, free market should be able to cover that. Agreed, but I think yeah. in some of these cases, it's buried in the documents set on day one. You're not noticing it. I, I think that's a little, you know, it's got to be front and center. There's got to be consideration for it. If there is, maybe it makes sense for them. Well, that's funny because that's where we came down, regardless of the legislation and the politics or, or, or any of that stuff. Just if you're an employer out there, like think critically about who needs a non-compete. That's right. Yeah. You guys, I would imagine at Bigger Pockets, and, and I was just talking to Lisa on your team, talking about how you guys are growing just hugely right now. I'm imagining for some of those people, there might be non-competes. That's fair. I can't talk too much specifically about that, but yes, yeah. we use that on occasion with some particular Yeah. Employees. People with proprietary, and my proprietary information. By the way, well said. I can't, I can't speak. <laughs> it's almost like you run the place here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for weighing in on that, Tyrell. By the way, we take questions to the show. And during the summers, I mentioned earlier, this is a great time to ask questions to go fairly close to the head of the class. So stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail gets you to Dave and Lifeline. And if you call in, you get some of that badass Stacking Benjamins greatest money show on earth t-shirts made by Brad Lark, just an amazing 
t-shirt. And as cool as I go around uh, the country, been going around the country on my book tour, seeing a lot of people wearing those shirts, which is cool. So stackybedjamins.com slash voicemail. All right. That's going to do it for today. That was, that was easy, man. Yeah. Fun subjects. Nice job. Good work. It's like you've done this before a time or two. Once or twice. So 300 times. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of that, <laughs> what's coming up on Bigger Pockets Money? I'll talk about some of the recent things that yes. we've done that have been really fun. We had um, we had an individual on the show who did a study on the ROI of college education and took 30,000 majors from around the country and said, here's how much you pay. Here's what the uh, earnings are. Here's the discount rate of 5% across that. And here's the degrees that pay off. And here's the ones that don't. That was a really fun episode. Because people don't think enough about that. That's right. Period. Yeah. Then he took that ROI and did it again a year later and did that for, um, and that was the reason what we have was the next evolution of that, which was for all the graduate and postgraduate degrees that you can get. And so it's pretty fascinating to see that so many degrees are really a negative ROI. And we're all about financial independence uh, on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. And so if you're not going to work for 40 years, that compresses the ROI of a degree even further. So really interesting nerding out we did there. That's fabulous. We also had uh, Tom Honig, who was a former chair of the Kansas City Fed and one of the lone dissenters against Ben Bernanke's, uh, I think the second round of quantitative easing coming out of 2012 to continue to spur the economy. And so that was a really interesting episode as well to hear about kind of an inside look on on how uh, Federal Reserve, like I've I've probably mentioned six times already on the show here, um, you can tell I'm, I'm pretty fascinated with this, how they influence monetary policy and how those actions were likely to lead to inflation, what can be done next. We do a board game episode every year here on Black Friday, and Jamie Stegmeier, who is a big voice in the industry, was on talking about some of his favorite games about economics. And there's a game that sounds so boring, which is hilarious. I actually played it in Omaha, at our Omaha tour stop after afterwards a few people stayed around and we played this game and it's called quantitative easing oh it sounds great it is it is by the way it, it, yeah it does this like the most boring thing ever you're like no thanks but here's the game everybody represents a government a different government and in this particular game i was i was japan somebody was the us somebody was the eu somebody was china somebody was the uk and you have this blank check and whoever goes first turns over the company that needs to be bailed out the first person writes a check bidding how much money they're going to bid to bail out that company. And they put that face up and then everybody else around the table places their bids face down and whoever bids the most money bails out that company. Here's, here's the thing. Each of those companies represents some points in a lot of different ways. But if you're the person that writes the most blank checks, the biggest amount of money, you automatically lose. And what's also fascinating is in most games, the amount of inflation that happens during the game, the checks just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bigger as you're competing to bail out these companies. And it's this fascinating look at the horror story that is sometimes quantitative easing. So that's right. Only thing worse than inflation is deflation. So we got to figure out the game quantitative tightening next. We're going to, we're going to have you on next time to talk about that one. Yeah. All right. And and you can find everything bigger pockets, of course, at biggerpockets.com. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks awesome. for the And listen to the uh, the Bigger Pockets Money podcast wherever you're listening to us today. We'll have links to all that on our show notes page at stackingbedjamins.com. All right. He's Scott. I'm Joe. Here comes Doug again. Doug, what should we have learned today? So, what should we have learned today? First, listen to Laura Schroff. A little kindness can take your life to unusual places. While you're busy helping out someone else, you may actually be helping yourself. Second, crypto? It may be a good buy, but don't take your paycheck in any currency other than your local dollar dollar bills. 
and then go buy your Dogecoin if you're so inclined. But the big lesson? These sea shanties are really adding up. I mean, who knew that an app that helped you put your face on a toaster would reach the same value as the gross national product of Uruguay? Thanks to Laura Schroff for joining us. Her book, An Invisible Thread, is available anywhere you go meet up with the mentee you saved. And thanks to Scott Trench for co-hosting today. Check out his work at biggerpockets.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. This is something, Scott, that grinded me. I just got back from vacation and uh, staying at some of these hotels in uh, Jordan and in Egypt. We stayed at some fantastic properties, but you know, it's hot as hell there. And you go out to the pool and there's maybe 12 people around the pool and there's somebody's damn towel on every single chair. So the, this piece that is on uh, boardpanda.com, where we find all our hard-hitting news, video showing early morning sunbed blockers having their towels taken away by staff at five-star resorts. At five-star resorts, the staff are now going around, and if you don't sit in that chair after a certain amount of time, 
they take the towel off. I think that's fantastic. I, I completely agree. This is a very pressing problem for, for many people around the world. I think it absolutely needs to be resolved with have a, you ever a towel takeaway. Have you gotten mad yeah. about this ever? I, you know, I, I have gotten mad. The prime real estate is all, all scooped up by yes. people who aren't even using it. I know. There's nobody there. And, and by the way, this piece- Occupy your chair, man. I know. This piece goes into it and it says, in many cases, like they've had people follow the people, they're not even at the pool. They go off to a restaurant. They go downtown shopping. They leave it there because they learned early on, if I put my chair there first thing in the morning, then, and the hotel always leaves it there. Then when I decide I want to use the pool, I got front row whenever I want it. Baloney. I think it's, I think it's, yeah, baloney, as you say. Yeah. We've talked the, about a lot of legislation. takeaway needs to, needs to be a, a thing that is, is instigated at all of these places. We've talked about a lot of legislation stuff in this show, right? We've talked about the non-compete. We talked about, you know, the role of the Fed a fair amount, right? And, and about fiat currency. This is the problem. None of that. Like, who cares about the Fed flighting inflation? Let's have a law about towels in the front row at yeah, the this hotel. This is the best possible use case for a strong centralized government um, at the hotel level. Yeah. This, yeah. You're, you're getting ready to have a child. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited. So I got to believe you guys have had some vacations lately just to have like a last fling before your vacations are now a little different than they used to be. We're doing a lot of driving. So we'll, we'll go to uh, Estes Park, Yellowstone, oh, get a lot of those places in, see the sites, that kind of stuff. Yellowstone, you haven't, have you been to Yellowstone already? Never been. Oh. Excited. Well, yeah, but are you going soon? Yes. Because all the roads are closed. Oh, no. You, I did you, not know this. You, you haven't been looking? No. Yeah. And maybe by the time it comes out, but they've said on some of the roads, they're not going to be able to open them for a year. Maybe we're not going to Yellowstone, guys. We're going to have to do Yosemite. Yeah. yeah. That's a little longer drive. Yeah. You got to catch us a slight, well, I don't know, from here? Is, is, is Yellowstone or Yosemite longer? Probably Yosemite's farther. But yeah. I, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, Zion, we could, we could do some of the ones in Utah. Yes. Yeah, we'll go to Utah. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, well. Government Parks Pass. And you're going to go before the baby's born. I think so. Yeah. We'll yes. do a good, good bit of driving before then. Well, and our doctor also said though, that, that walking and walking some of those trails when Cheryl was pregnant mm-hmm. was a good thing. So hiking yep. at kind of a slow rate, it's going to be good. That's right. We're going for a walk pretty frequently around down Denver, little hikes, that kind of stuff. And we're looking forward to these next couple of months before, um, before the work begins. I remember, I remember those days. Yeah. That's fantastic. During my recent travels, I've been very lucky not to be hit by any of the, the airline stuff. Have you been hit by any of the airline things? I have not had any cancellations. I just keep getting on Southwest flights. They board the plane and then we sit there for an hour or, oh. we, or we do take off on time and then our gate's not ready. So we sit there for 30 minutes. So we were talking about this like, last night. I was talking about this with Mr. Money Mustache because I was complaining of somebody else was talking about Frontier and I said, I, I can't ride Frontier. I'm a tall guy and I don't like how close the seats are together. Like I feel like my knees are in the person in front of me. And Pete said, I travel very comfortably and he's obviously more frugal than I am. But also when we were chatting, another reason I don't like frontier is because every time I've ridden that airline, we've had the most bizarre breakdowns. We had a time we were delayed for hours because of the plane had a flat tire. Like we were delayed by an hour on Southwest just two days ago because they didn't file the log correctly with the air traffic controller or some, something like that. Really? What, what I heard. Yeah. So, and you just sat on the plane and we just sat there on the plane for, we, we, we were delayed first of all from two fifty to two fifty four. 
So inexcusable. Four minute, de- That's uh, right. four minute delay. There. I can't stand this. <laughs> then we boarded the plane uh, and then we sat there for an hour without taking off. So yeah, you can tell I'm a little bitter about this. There should be, you know, uh, some sort of towel takeaway there too. Yes. Yeah. But government, <laughs> government can't solve those private problems. That, that's free market stuff. But get- <laughs> but I got to say that's good though, Scott, the, uh, the CEO of one of America's major corporations flying Southwest. Good man. Oh yeah. I'm, a- I'm A-list. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> Fly a lot of Southwest. <laughs> Have you done the companion pass? I did. I got the companion pass four or five years ago. Um, I have not gotten it since. I haven't done the travel hacking, but um, maybe the next year or two. Uh, Virginia, my wife will, will go and get that and we'll have the companion pass the other way. Yeah. The credit card hacking. Yeah. Yeah. Just haven't had time to do the credit card hacking lately. Yeah. Time and inclination. I keep getting a list and it's, I don't know. So why not? Yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah. We don't fly that much. Thanks for hanging out. I, not in the uh, last two years. Well, I'm happy now that the tour's over uh, when this comes out, the tour will be over. I'm going to fly a hell of a lot less, which I'm very, very happy about. That'll be nice. Thanks for hanging out, man. Thank you Thanks for, for having me. This us. was fun. I, I enjoy talking about on um, this stuff and you know, you got me going about the fed or you I can't got myself tell. going about it. You can't tell that you like it at all. <laughs> it seems very weird. Yeah. You're not in the right profession. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.